We're just going to look at two verses tonight. 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, the last two verses of the chapter. As we come to this place in the book of 1 John, let's be reminded that John is a letter about fellowship. John is writing to a group of Christians, a community of believers that have been shaken to the core. They need to be reassured about their own relationship with God because they had a large group within their community of believers who departed and left them. And it left them shaken. And John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this letter to uh, encourage them, but also to inform them about the importance of fellowship with God, not just a relationship with God. That yes, it's, it's great to have a relationship with God, but God wants us to have fellowship with Him. He wants us to have a close connection with Him. This is something that many Christians struggle with, maybe even never get to. They have a relationship with God, but they never really live in fellowship with God. Living sort of hand in hand with God every day. God is sort of who they call on when they're in trouble or when a crisis comes into their life or something like that. But to say they live in close connection to God every day, some, that's that's like a foreign concept. And so that's what John's been talking about. And he's been talking a lot about the benefits of fellowship with God. He talked in chapter 1 about the fact that, you know, it brings joy and and that the the joy that we have through our fellowship also spills over into our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And not only does God want us to have fellowship with Him, He wants us to have fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see. So on and on, John has been sort of banging this drum. And last week we saw that one of the concerns that John had was that there were deceivers out there who were seeking to lead Christians astray and get them off course. In fact, he mentions that in verse 26 of chapter 2. He says, there are those who are trying to deceive you. So last week we looked at one of the reasons you and I need to stay in fellowship with God is because it will guard us against being deceived. And John even last week gave two sort of, of, of things out of that fellowship that obviously enable us to keep from being deceived. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. In fact, he said in, in the Spirit of God actually even takes the Word of God and is ultimately our teacher. So John here is saying, that's why you need to live in close connection with God. It will, it will prevent you from being deceived by those who are continually going to come into your life and seek to get you and I off course, to get us distracted. But now in verse 28 of chapter 2, John gives them another reason why it's important to stay in fellowship with God. And this is amazing to me because as you all know, I study months and months ahead and, and, and you know plan these series And I never know exactly, based from week to week, how many verses I'm going to get through, how these are going to fall. And so obviously, the last couple Sundays, we've been talking about, you know, meeting the Lord, or last Sunday, the the rapture, the return of the Lord. And now if you look at verse 28, what is the reason John gives 
for remaining in fellowship with God. He says, now little children remain in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame when He comes back. So John is saying, one of the reasons why you and I need to stay in fellowship with with Christ is because we want to be in a healthy place. We want to be in a good place. We want to be walking with Christ and in close connection with Him and in fellowship when He comes because not every Christian will be. According to John, there's going to be, in a sense, two groups of Christians when Jesus comes or when they would die to go to meet Him. There will be those in fellowship and there will be those out of fellowship with God. Because again, remember, in the context of 1 John, he's not talking about relationship. He's making a distinction between a relationship with God and fellowship with God. With that being said, let's go in and dissect a little bit of verses 28 and 29 tonight. Again, they have a lot of great stuff in them. So he says in verse 28, and now, based on the fact that there are those out there trying to deceive you, but you have an anointing from God. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. He will keep you on track. He can keep you on course. You don't have to give in to the deceivers. God has given you every spiritual resource you and I need to stand up to the deception in which we live. He says, but now, little children, I have something else that I want to encourage you about fellowship. And notice he uses again the term little children. In the original language, this has a couple shades of meaning. One is that they are deeply loved. Deeply loved. We sang about that tonight. John wanted to remind the recipients of this letter that they are deeply loved by God. In fact, the verse we're going to begin with next week, look at chapter 3, verse 1, where John says, See what sort, what quality of love the Father has given to us that we should be called God's children. So we're going to talk about that next week, but he wants to remind us of how greatly loved we are. But he also uses this term because it also speaks to one who is learning, one who is growing in their faith. A student in training, if you will. Uh, Sort of the same concept as a disciple, a, a learner. And he uses that because he's saying no matter where we are in our Christian life, no matter how old we are physically or how long we've walked with the Lord, all of us should still look at ourselves as children in the sense that we all should be teachable. We all should realize that we never should stop growing or can stop growing. There's always things to learn in our walk with God. And he uses this term because he's getting ready to warn them, if you will, about some spiritual dangers that they need to be aware of. And so he's using that term as sort of a a, a mentor, a teacher, a discipler to his students. And that's why he uses the term little children. I want you and I to take from this that we need to be reminded tonight we are deeply and greatly loved by God. We are called God's children. He looks at us as His children. Don't ever forget that. And remember too from this that we should be in a position where we are learning and growing and progressing in our faith. Coming to God as, as, as a child 
keeping that childlikeness, if you will, that sense of wonder, never, never getting over, if you will, that we are gods and that, that we have been blessed so much and that we have all these, these wonderful things and benefits and blessings in our life through our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then John uses this word. He uses it more than any other New Testament writer. In fact, he uses it twice as much as any other New Testament writer. It is the word translated in the net, remain. It can also be translated stay, abide, dwell. It's the same concept that Jesus gave in the passage in the Gospel of John chapter 15 where He talks about the vine and the branches. And He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, remain in Me so that you can bear much fruit. And so John obviously heard that from the Lord Himself. And he understood the importance of not just having a relationship with God, but in a sense having fellowship with God. Of of remaining, if you will, dwelling with God. In a sense, it even goes back to to what Nicole said tonight about drawing near to God. I, I can have... I can possess God in my life and yet not be close to God. Just like I can have a relationship with somebody on a human level, but not be close to them. And so that's why John is saying, remain in Him. Remain within Jesus Christ. Don't, don't in a sense, let go of Jesus. Keep Him with you at all times. Live in close connection with Him. And also from this word remain comes the... the uh, idea of continuance or endurance or perseverance. In other words, as long as we remain in Him, we will continue and endure and persevere. But once we are out there and we try to live life on our own, even as a Christian, even as a child of God who has a relationship with God, we're going to fall flat on our face. Because our success in life, and in, in the ability to be able to navigate life and to, to combat deception and to be in a good, healthy place spiritually when Jesus comes back is not based solely on a relationship with God. It's also based on something more, and that is fellowship with God. And that's something that we have to get across, and we have to have that grip our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, and we've got to get that message out to so many Christians. Because today there are so many Christians, either because they're not getting good teaching or they're just in that fog of spiritual apathy and complacency, for them, it's good enough that they have a relationship with God and they don't understand the danger that they're putting themselves in by not walking in fellowship with God every day, by not remaining in Him. It's only when we, re- we remain in Christ can we overcome and be an overcomer, if you will. And that's why John is encouraging them. Remain in Him. So that, John says, when He appears, when Jesus visibly returns from heaven, we may, he doesn't say again that there's a, sh- a surety there. It's going to depend on our fellowship. But we may have confidence when he comes. But then he also says, if we're not living in fellowship, we'll be like some of those Christians who will shrink away from him in shame. Not because they don't have a relationship with him, but because they have not been living in fellowship with him. You see, 
So let's, again, let's go through these very important verses. First of all, I want to go back to the word appears. It not only speaks about Christ visibly manifesting Himself, but the idea of the word appear also means to bring to light or for something to come to light or, or be made clear. So you begin to think about how that applies. In one way, it's going to be that when Jesus returns, there's going to be some things from God's perspective that's made very clear. For those that deny God, for those that deny Jesus Christ, whatever, it's going to be made very clear. Oh, He is God. <laughs> he is the ruler of the universe. He's in control. You know, it's going to be made very clear. It's going to come to light who Jesus really is. But also, I think, it also means that when He appears, it's going to be brought to light where we really are. Because, you know, you and I, we can maybe fake it. And we can say, you know, me and God, we're close. <laughs> but we're going to know when Jesus returns where we really are. Are we living in fellowship with God when He returns? Are we living in close connection with God? Or have we drifted away? You know, have we been like the church at Ephesus where Jesus uh, talks to them about leaving their first love and not having the, the spiritual priorities and values that, that they should be having? And this is why John says, remain in Him. Live your life totally within Jesus Christ and His power and His strength and His wisdom. Don't ever live life on your own. And by living in that close connection and fellowship with God, when He comes back, if you are here when He comes back, you'll have confidence when He comes. See, fellowship with God, living close to God, brings confidence in our relationship, in, in the way we carry ourselves as Christians. You show me a Christian who's living close to the Lord, and I'll show you one who is confident, not cocky, not proud, but confident. Because the confidence is a natural result of our fellowship. It's something that God has built in as a natural byproduct to those who are willing to fellowship with Him. They will have confidence. I mean, you think about that in even the transformation of the disciples. After the Holy Spirit came into them, Man, those guys that were cutting and running and forsaking and everything else, they were willing to stand up and proclaim the name of Jesus and be thrown into jail and, and even die martyrs' deaths because of that. They had a confidence. They had a boldness. They had an assurance. They had an openness. These are all words that you could use in place of the word confidence here. You see. And God wants us to have that. He wants us to be able to live that way. But again... Just because I have a relationship with God doesn't equate to I'm going to have that kind of confidence because that kind of confidence, that kind of boldness, that kind of openness does not just come from a relationship. It comes from ongoing, continuous fellowship with Christ. And that's why the Bible and why John is exhorting and urging these folks to remain in Him. 
because he does not want us to be in a place where we're not living in fellowship with God, where we literally shrink away from him in shame. Literally embarrassed by the way we are living our lives. To be ashamed. How sad that there will be many Christians when Christ comes back who are embarrassed and ashamed by the way they're living their Christian life. It doesn't have to be that way. It's based on their choice and their choices and their priorities. And so John is saying, don't put yourself in that position. Continue to live in close fellowship with Christ. Keep your finger in 1 John. I want you to see an illustration of this phrase, shrinking away from him in shame. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and I think you know where I'm going now with this, to Genesis chapter 3. And we see how Adam and Eve reacted to God. I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. After they had eaten the fruit that God forbid them to eat, And then in verse 8 of Genesis 3, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God moving about in the orchard at the breezy time of the day, and they hid. They shrunk away from the Lord God among the trees of the orchard. God doesn't want us hiding from Him. He wants us running to Him. See, in a sense, that's what John is saying. There's going to be two two types of Christians when, when God comes back, and it's going to be based on fellowship. There are going to be those Christians who are running confidently towards Jesus. And there are going to be others that's like shrinking away, not knowing what the reaction's going to be, or not feeling very confident in standing before Him. Again, not based on relationship, folks but based on fellowship. We go on verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Obviously, God knew where they were. The man replied, I heard you moving about in the orchard, and I was afraid because I was naked. I I felt ashamed. I, I was embarrassed by the position that I was in now before you. And so I'm shrinking back. See, God doesn't want that. God God understands, I want you to be close to me. I I don't want there to be any barriers. And so that's why I want you to stay in fellowship with me. Because if you start living your life apart from me, and trying to live independently of me, and not living in fellowship with me, and remaining in me, you're going to get yourself in a place where your life and your lifestyle is, is not going to reflect Jesus Christ. And then when He comes, there's going to be this unnecessary embarrassment and shame in how one was living their life. And so that's why John is encouraging them back in 1 John 2.28 to remain in Him. Notice something else very important. and It's why I didn't touch on it Sunday because I knew I was going to touch on it tonight. And that is that John says, little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame. When he comes back. A couple things there. The phrase comes back was used in the Greek language to speak about a royal visit of a king, if you will, coming, a king returning. And certainly that is 
appropriate here. The king is coming. The king is returning. But there's also this idea in these words that it speaks of John's language to the fact that the reason he's encouraging Christians to live every moment in fellowship with God is because they don't know when he's coming back. Notice that the implication here in verse 28, as it is in other places, is that the return of the Lord is what we call imminent. It could happen at any moment. Therefore, as a Christian, I can't go, well, you know, I'll walk away from God for a couple years because I know exactly when he's coming. We're going to talk about that Sunday. Jesus talks about it many times that his coming will be like a thief in the night. It will be very sudden and very unexpected. And not just by people who don't know him, but by people who are living out of fellowship with him. His coming will catch them off guard. It will be a surprise. And, and this is, to me, one of the great, if you will, arguments for the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Because that's the only place in prophecy where you can place the return of the Lord and make it imminent. That it could happen at any moment. So I've always got to be ready because I don't know exactly when Jesus is going to come. Why would John be exhorting his readers to always stay in fellowship if they knew exactly when Jesus was going to come? Then he could say, well, you know, you can live however you want to, but then you'll know he's going to come here and then you can get your life in order. There, there's no teaching like that. It's always you and I have to basically have our heads, you know, in the game all, at all times because we don't know when Jesus could come. If I believe that Jesus is going to come in the middle of the tribulation, then I know the exact marker of when he's going to come. He's going to come at the abomination of desolation and the Antichrist going into the temple and desecrating and all that. I know that's the midpoint of the tribulation, so I'll be looking for him. And if I believe that it's going to come at the end of the tribulation, I know exactly when he's going to come there. Basically, then, that's to be what, what I call the second coming, where at the battle of, the Ar of Armageddon, at the end of that, that's when Christ comes. I know exactly then when he's coming. I can, I can be ready. But that's not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible is that Christ's coming is at any moment. Which means, behooves us, we've always got to stay in fellowship with him because we don't know when he's going to come. And that's exactly what John says here. When he comes back. We don't know, but we've always got to be ready. For his return. Then, notice he says in verse 29, if you know that he is righteous. Now, this word know is a word that speaks of beyond a shadow of a doubt knowledge. In other words, John is saying, this is knowledge that the indwelling Holy Spirit has basically already taught you and planted within you. And that if you are a Christian, you should know this. <laughs> That's the word no here. He's not using if as, well, maybe you know it or don't. He's more using the word if as, as a sort of a, a marker of self-examination. He's saying, do you know this? Because if you don't, then maybe you should check yourself out to see if you really know the Lord or not. Because to know the Lord is to know that he, speaking in this context, Jesus is righteous is holy, meaning that Jesus Christ is God's standard. 
That's what, that's what it means, basically. That Jesus Christ is God's standard. God never has lowered the standard. God never will lower the standard. God's not going to dumb things down to make it more accommodating for people to reach. God has always said, this is the standard. Be like Jesus. Be holy for I'm holy. And He, Jesus, is righteous. He's the standard. Now, hang in there. See where John is taking this as he starts off by making that statement and affirming that kind of knowledge that his readers would have. If we know that Jesus Christ is the standard, He's righteous, then we also know, he says that everyone who practices righteousness has been fathered by Him. Now, the the second word, know, is a word that speaks about knowledge that comes through experience, personal experience. And so he's saying, through your own personal fellowship with God, you have come to know this. And that is that if I practice righteousness then I know that I have been fathered by God. Or another way to say it, I have been born again or born from above. Same thing that Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 7. Nicodemus, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You must be born from above. You must have God impart into you His spiritual life. That's the only way. Now, Let's back up, because I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Why is this important? Well, because like even today, we can look at, say, good moral people. And we can say, oh, they do good things. They're good moral people. Some maybe would even use the word righteous. They're, they're righteous. But what John is saying here is like, time out, Christian. Let's, let's get things straight here. They're not really good. They're not really righteous if they don't have Jesus Christ in their life, no matter how much good they do. Because what we're doing, even when we say people like that who don't have Christ are good people, moral people, we're using a human standard of righteousness. We're using a human standard of goodness. And we're saying based upon our human standard... They're a good person. They're moral. They're righteous from a human standpoint. But notice what John is saying. In a sense, we're lowering the standard. Because the standard of righteousness isn't what we think is good. It's what God thinks is good. And God says, Jesus Christ is the standard. You see? And the only person that can live like Jesus Christ... The, the only person that, that can be like Jesus, again, not in a God-like way, will never be omniscient, we will never be omnipotent, you know, any of that. That is reserved for God alone. But you and I can bear the fruit of the Spirit. We can be loving like God. We can be joyful like God. We can have the peace of God. We can have self-control. We can be kind. We can exhibit those attributes of God, if you will. There's character qualities of God. But that's, that's Jesus, you see. 
And we've got to remember that that's God's standard, not what we think is good, because again, that's self-righteousness. And the Bible teaches us that if we come to God in what we can do on our own apart from Him, that's like a filthy rag. That is not acceptable to God. Because the only righteousness that's acceptable to God is God's righteousness. And the only one that's that standard is Jesus Christ. You see. So, people who really don't have Christ and have not been fathered by God, if we say they're good moral people, we're using not God's standard of righteousness, Because it's impossible, John says, for anybody to practice this righteousness, this standard that God has, without God being in them to enable them and empower them to do it. See, that's one of the main points in verse 29. If if I if I'm living sort of a supernatural life, then it's it's reassuring me and confirming that I've got God living within me. And He's the only way that I can live that way. I I can't have that attitude apart from God. I I can't do those actions apart from God. On my own, I could do this. But that's not God's standard. God's standard is be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. He is righteous. And that's where God, that's where John is going with this. Because he also wants to then come back and basically share with his readers if you are practicing righteousness, and that word practice speaks of a habitual lifestyle. It's not, a, it's not an act of, of good here and an act of good there. It is speaking about someone whose primary lifestyle, whose habitual lifestyle consists consistently of righteousness. He's saying, then you know that the only way you can do that is because you have been fathered by God. That God has birthed within you, in a sense, His life and His Spirit now lives within you. And the only way you can live like that, that consistently, that habitually, over a long haul, is because you've got God inside of you. That's an important distinction that you and I need to make. Because he's saying, look, anybody can... Anybody can look good for a while, even. And anybody can do an act here or an act there. But he says, it's only when you and I are practicing righteousness. Again, consistently. Continuously. We are carrying out and executing what God prefers. (laughs) God's standard. He says, then you know you got God. In a a way, not only is is there benefits, obviously, to fellowship, but he's saying the benefit of truly being a born-again Christian and being fathered by God is that you know you've got a capacity and ability within you to be able to do what you and I could never do on our own, which is why, like Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's basically what John's saying. He says, when you and I have been fathered by God and we know it, we know God lives within us, then we know that we can meet God's standard because we could never meet God's standard on our own. In a sense, in sort of a backwards way, 
This is, this is even why Paul goes into that whole thing of why God gave the law. No human being could ever meet the standard of the law. You see. The law was given to show us we can't meet that standard. We need God in order to meet that standard. So then when you and I humble ourselves and say, God, I can't live up to that standard. God goes, you're right. Now come to me. Let me put my spirit within you. And then guess what? Turn around. You can start meeting that standard. You can start practicing righteousness. But only when you and I have been fathered by God. Only when we have been born from above and born again. Then we have the capacity. John is basically saying, this is a distinction. This is why so many people even today and throughout you know, the last couple thousand years, they can profess even to be a Christian. And they can maybe even do good every once in a while. But it's only the people who practice righteousness over the long haul, consistently and continuously, do they know for sure in their own hearts and can others see, yep, they, they really are a Christian. Because other people can, again, fake it for a while. And other people can do acts of good every once in a while. We know that. That meet a human standard of goodness. But only those who have been fathered by God can practice righteousness and meet God's standard of righteousness, which is to be like Jesus. And John is saying again, this is one of the reasons why I'm encouraging you and urging you and exhorting you to remain in him. Because it's only going to be then out of this close connection and fellowship, walking in the spirit, living in the spirit, that you and I will be able to practice righteousness. Let me show you this as I wrap this up tonight, uh, go back to the book of Galatians. And then I want to go back to a passage in the gospel of Matthew. I want to show you something too. That's really cool tonight. Galatians chapter three, the Christians in the region of Galatia had this issue too, that Paul addressed with them in Galatians chapter three. And I'm just going to begin or just read verse three. You can read the context later, but, but verse three of chapter three of Galatians really hits it. Notice again, he's talking to Christians here who have a relationship with God. But notice what Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians 3, 3. Are you so foolish? He says, although you began with the spirit. In other words, you began your Christian life relying, depending, living, walking in the spirit so that you could meet that standard and practice righteousness. Now he says, are you trying to finish your Christian life by human effort? independent, on your own, out there trying to meet that standard on your own. And basically what Paul goes on to say is, you realize you're falling flat on your face, right? Because if you and I are trying to live up to God's standard by our own human effort, on our own, without the aid of the Holy Spirit, without fellowshipping with God, we will fall flat every time. It is only when you and I are doing it by the Spirit and living in fellowship with God, that we will be able to consistently practice righteousness. And this is why John then writes about this at this point in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. I think, again, the big takeaway for me before I wrap it up tonight is that John, again, is just saying, guys, it's so important. It, 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 it's absolutely necessary that we have a relationship with God. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must 
It's a necessity. We must have God as our Father and be supernaturally adopted into His family. That's a must. But it is also a must from John's perspective, and obviously God's perspective, that we also live in fellowship with God, not just have a relationship with Him. Because without living in fellowship, I will not be be able to live with confidence, with openness and boldness and, and a, a fearless sort of uh, freedom, if you will, in my life. I will be like Adam and Eve, who's not in a good place, not spiritually healthy. And I will, I will shrink back. I'll hide. See, God wants us to be out there. He wants us to shine. Why aren't more Christians shining? Why aren't, why aren't there churches out there, you know, giving forth light? We're going to talk about this Sunday. I think it comes back to because there's a lot of Christians and there's a lot of churches that aren't in fellowship. And when you and I aren't in fellowship, we're not going to put ourselves out there. Because our confidence is going to be sapped from us. And we're not going to be prominent. We're going to be hiding, you see. Now, real cool, I wanted to show you this since we talked about at the end where John says, being fathered by God. I want you to go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Many times people ask me, Jeff, you say that the Bible is the Word of God. But does that mean that the Bible that I even hold in my hand today is the Word of God? Can I say that with confidence? And I want to say again to you tonight, absolutely. Because the God who not only inspired this book, also preserved this book. And what you and I hold in our hands today, we can confidently say is the authoritative word of God. And here's one of the great examples of why we can say that. The word that John used, the Greek word, again, not to get too Greeky on you, but the the Greek word that John used for fathered is the Greek word genao, G-E-N-N-A-O, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. Well, obviously, that's not the only place that that word is used. It's used in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. And you'll notice beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, All the way through Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, the word father comes up. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and so on and so on. And you see the word father. It's the word genao, all the way down through. And it's in what's called the active voice, which simply means that this person actually fathered that that person, okay? Okay, I, I understand that. But notice something. When you get to verse 16 of Matthew chapter 1, the the word genao is not in the active voice any longer. It's now in the passive voice, which means that Joseph is not looked at as the actual father of Jesus. It says, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, and Joseph was the husband of Mary by whom Jesus was born. That passive voice, form of Gnao. So in other words, God is saying, yep, all these guys fathered their sons, but when it came to Joseph, nope, Joseph didn't father Jesus. Joseph was the father, earthly father of Jesus, but, but Jesus came as a virgin 
through the virgin, through the Holy Spirit, instrumentality of the Holy Spirit, and, and he was born. Passive use of that word. Now, folks, that's the detail that God gives us in his word of how exact the word of God is. How much we can trust it. Because right here, even in Matthew 1.16, what do you have there? You have the reaffirmation, if you will, of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. That the earthly father Joseph was not the father of Jesus. In fact, he's referred to here as the husband of Mary, to whom Jesus was born. Again, the word ganao is there, but it's in the passive voice, not the active, as all the other uses of it is from verse 2 all the way through verse 16. It shows how you and I can truly trust the message of the Bible and what it teaches. That's how great God is. And folks, I even have to be reminded, if my God is so awesome, if he is so great, then why would I want to live one hour of one day or even one minute of one day without being close to him? Why would I ever want to say, God, I I don't need you. I'm going to do this on my own. And yet we know that battle is there for a couple reasons. One, because our human flesh that one day we're going to lay aside just fights to be independent from God. And then we have that spiritual enemy, the devil, and all of his demonic forces who made the decision to be independent of God because they lived in close connection. They lived in fellowship with God and they chose not to do that anymore. They chose to be independent of God. So from the time of the fall of Satan and all the demonic forces with him, they have tried to to basically get man to be independent of God. To say, you you don't need God. You you don't need to live in fellowship with God. And and if Satan can't get our soul, if, if we have already accepted Jesus and we have a relationship with God, then the next best thing that Satan can do in a Christian's life is to get them to live out of fellowship with God. To get them to live after their salvation, independent of God. And to begin to, as Paul said to the Galatians, begin to live your life by your own human effort rather than by the Spirit. That's what we have to be careful of. That's what we have to be cautious of. That's what John is warning his recipients of this letter of in 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Let's pray. Father, we have been reminded tonight of just how much of a necessity it is that we live in fellowship with you. God, there's so many great and good and wonderful things that come to our lives and into our lives when we live in close connection with you every day. But God, when we begin to live our lives independently, by our own human effort, taking life by ourselves rather than with you, God, there's so many bad things that can come into our lives when that happens. And God, it's so unnecessary. We don't ever have to put ourselves in a position where, God, when Jesus comes, we would shrink away because we're embarrassed about where we are in our Christian life. We can live in such a way, God, so close to you that when when you come, we're running towards you. We're, We're confident of where we are with you. We know where we stand with you, God. We don't have to be like Adam and Eve was in the garden. So God, use this message to just really inspire and motivate your children 
to live in fellowship with you every day. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you Sunday. By the way, don't forget Sunday potluck right here. Service over in the auditorium. Bring your food over here before the service. We're going to have a cookout. It's going to be a great time of fellowship after the service. We'll see you then.